Brothers and sisters, I invite you to open up your pew Bibles to page 1219 for the reading of God's word to us today. It's actually on page 1119 and 1220, sorry, 1219. Our text is Revelation 2, 8 through 11, and chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. These are God's word to us this morning. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And then Revelation 3, 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance i will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world the whole world those who tr to try those who dwell on the earth i am coming soon hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in my temple, in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I found the text this week to be a hard text. It took me actually a while to write this sermon. I actually wrote it several times. And I think I found this text to be a hard text because I am so used to giving prodigal son sermons. Prodigal son sermons. And I call those prodigal son sermons because my sermons often model the story of the prodigal son. You guys know that story, right? There's one son who takes his inheritance and runs away and he squanders it on a life of sin. He goes and he spends it on drinking and parties. And then he finally comes to his senses and he repents and he comes back and the father greets him and the father clothes him and gives him a ring and kisses him. Those are usually my sermons. I'm used to doing that because those are the sermons which capture a significant part of the gospel, which most of us resonate passionately with. However, this text, I feel, focuses more on the second son. See, in Luke, in that story, there's the one son who the father goes out and greets, and then there's the second son who never leaves the father. And he stands outside, and the father goes out, and he speaks to him. And this is, this is what the second son says. He says, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat, or a young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. And to the older son, this is what the father says. He says, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is mine. Or all that, sorry, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. I find it hard to preach sermons which capture the beauty and the riches, the significance and the inheritance and the relationship that goes after repentance. Repentance sermons are kind of easier because as Christians, most of us live repenting lives. We don't get to the place where we, like the older son, live lives where we're not disobeying. And yet to the older son, what is held out to him is relationship and an inheritance. It's interesting, this past week, I, uh, I met with Pastor Patrick, and he told me of this tweet that he had seen a theologian post, and this is what it was. It said, most of us choose between heaven and hell, and we choose heaven. That's, that's where we are in our faith. If given the choice between heaven and hell, we choose heaven. But then the second part of the tweet said, but how many of us, given the choice between heaven and and earth would still choose heaven. The reason I thought about the prodigal son is the second son is just as worldly as the first, just in a different way. 
I don't know if you noticed it, but his words, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. That's what he's longing for. And to that is what the father offers. You are always with me, relationship. And all that is mine is yours. And so these churches, these churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia, these are churches which are healthy. In fact, most commentators call them the healthy churches. Out of the seven churches that we talk about, Jesus has rebukes and corrections for all of the churches except for these two. And so the part of my preaching, which is often the easiest, the one of repentance, is kind of on the back burner. But I am so thankful for that. Because in texts like this, all of Scripture is to us. And in texts like this, we see more poignantly the importance of not just putting to death sin, right? Not just avoiding these Laodicean churches or these Ephesian churches, which we so easily relate to. But we see that Jesus calls us to something greater than the putting away of sin to the stopping or the uh, the 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 death of loving sin he challenges the church of smyrna and philadelphia to choose between heaven and earth not heaven and hell but heaven and earth and so the question for us today becomes how are we going to choose between heaven and earth. That's what's faced, that's what's before us in our text today. Choosing that. And we do that out of a love for Christ. That's what I want us to see. See, Satan, and we don't often talk about Satan, but Satan has two tricks. And C.S. Lewis's book, um, The Screwtape Letters, really illustrates this so well. But for the most part, most churches, most Christians never get past Satan's first trick. Or we get past it, but it takes far longer than, than it should. And honestly, he never has to use the second trick. The first trick is honestly just temptation. It's the carrot before the donkey, right? It's the here is that tantalizing sin, that thing that you think you want and that's how he gets us to start going down the path towards hell. He gets those who should be going towards heaven, we stray and start going down the wrong track or the wrong path. And in the process of sanctification, if we live lives that put to death sin, right, we can get to the place like the older brother who obeys God's commands, but are we still worldly then? Have we really gone as far as the Christian gospel takes us? And when we get to the place where sin no longer rules our lives, right? Where we no longer fall for the first trick, which is just the, the bait towards hell. Satan brings out his second trick. He switches the carrot for the whip. Here's what I mean. Second 
Timothy 3.12 tells us that those who desire to live a righteous life will face persecution. That's just desire. Those who desire will face persecution. And if you get anywhere down that line, anywhere down that path of striving to actually embodying righteousness, then you should expect persecution. Persecution from the world and persecution from Satan. It's not a first time we've seen this. It's not the first time we will see this. I think of the story of of Job, a blameless man, right? And it's because of his blamelessness that Satan seeks to sift him and to strike him, to strike his family, to strike his business, his property, and his very body. I think of Peter, the Apostle Peter, who I absolutely love the story of Peter's life and the wholeness of Scripture. I love his zeal, that he was the first apostle to confess that Jesus had the words of everlasting life and to say, where else could we go? I love that Peter, in his zeal, said he would not deny the Lord. But, but what's interesting is we forget that this zeal is actually spoken to in Luke Chapter 22, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. That's the struggle of this text. As a pastor, I love that the, the, the gospel of repentance is, is this exciting moment. And I can rebrand it and, and cast the, the, ex, the most exciting part of our faith in some sense over and over again. But our text today gets to the seriousness of our faith where we have to choose heaven between, between heaven and earth. Not heaven and hell, the easy first choice but heaven and earth, the hard second one. And these two churches, in their call to follow Jesus, to follow him even unto death, they're called to persevere in a world when they are powerless and have no protection as Christians. These two churches show us an uncomfortable truth, but an important truth. It shows us that Christians can conquer in spite of death and in spite of powerlessness. Because ultimately, all Christian power, all Christian life exists in Christ and is seated with Christ. All that we have is in relationship with him and ours with him. 
So this morning I ask you, do you choose heaven over earth? And if you do, do you know how you're going to do that? Because Peter said he did, and Peter failed away. Peter fell away, right? And yet Jesus reinstated Peter, but do you remember how he reinstated it? He reinstated him asking, Peter, do you love me? Three times. So let's look at these churches, because I spent uh, three times on this sermon. I had like three sermons, which I kind of designated as history lessons. And uh, there's a lot of history here, so it's kind of exciting. So the church in Smyrna, here's our history lesson. This church is challenged with everything from poverty to slander to prison to death. And historically, we can understand why. First off, as these letters show, there's, there's nothing... There's no sin that Jesus has to correct with them. So they are living righteous lives. And so they're going to face persecution for that. But also because of where they are. See, the church in Smyrna is a church which is in a city which is strongly partial towards Rome. Smyrna and Philadelphia have a history with Rome. And they have sort of a love with Rome. And that sounds like it shouldn't matter, but Rome was a really interesting, interesting uh, ruler. See, Rome had really one rule. They were super hands-off in almost everything, but they had one rule, and that's, that's all you had to follow. The rule of Rome was Rome first. As long as Rome was first, all things are buddy-buddy and O-A-K. But for the church in Smyrna, those Christians who are living righteously, who are seeking Christ, they can't put Rome first. You know, Smyrna was the first city in Asia Minor to erect a temple to the goddess Roma. And in the temple of the goddess Roma, there would be sacrifices to Rome and to the Caesars. And the barrier to entry to do these sacrifices, was super low. There's evidence that Rome would incentivize it, would even provide it for the poor. So if you were poor and you didn't have anything to sacrifice, you could go and they would give you incense and you could sacrifice to the Caesars. You could sacrifice to Rome because Rome was first in your life. Roman life was the deal, was the the most important part. Rome knew propaganda. And they incentivized it. And they created a culture of propaganda. And everything was fine unless you bucked up against that. There's histories of what Rome would do is they would conquer a land and the existing king they would remove and then they would grab these kind of puppet kings, often brothers of the very king. In Philadelphia, we, we have histories of this as, the hist- as a historian recounted as the brother of the king in Philadelphia or the re- ruler was offered numerous times by Rome to usurp his brother, right? And to take over and to rule because Rome was first. And if Christians bucked up against that, even in the slightest way, there were problems, Interestingly, we can kind of see 
similarities today, and we know it, right? Businesses, businesses that, that don't follow certain messages, that don't affirm certain things, just by their presence will be boycotted and canceled. And this was real 2,000 years ago to these Christians. That's why the church in Smyrna is told, I know your poverty. Because if you were a Christian and you weren't following the Roman bandwagon, your business suffered. And yet, it was more than just a financial suffering. And we can see this in the story of Polycarp. See, Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. And he was also the apostle, or he was the disciple of the apostle John, the very person whom Jesus spoke to in these these letters, and who wrote these letters, listening to Jesus. And his story actually perfectly displays the believer's application of the struggle of what the letter of Smyrna talks about. It shows the struggle of having to choose heaven over earth. Polycarp actually embodies choosing death in Christ because of a love of Christ over life with Rome. Here's the story of Polycarp. At 86 years old, he was arrested And he was arrested for inciting citizens to not sacrifice to the gods. That was his charge. And any god was cool to worship as long as it was second to Rome, right? But he incites the people not to offer sacrifices to the gods. And the judges of Rome went as far as they possibly could because they felt pity for this 86-year-old man. Here's what they offered him. They said, you won't have to die. We won't torture you and we won't kill you if this is what you do. Just offer a pinch of incense to a statue of Caesar and say these little words, Caesar is Lord. That's all you have to do. A pinch of incense and Caesar is Lord and you can have your life. You can choose, you can have a Roman life. What you are willing to die for often shows what you are willing or what you really live for. It shows what you really love. And with the, uh, the older brother, we see that he still desired a worldly life, right? Sure, he didn't disobey the commands, but he still desired a worldly, earthly life. He wanted to celebrate with friends, And yet, Smyrna and Philadelphia have to face, will they choose earthly life over a life to come, over heavenly, over heaven? And so Peter faced that same thing, right? Peter denied three times because he feared. He feared for his Life. He feared for the very life which Jesus would lose on the cross. And later, when Jesus reinstates him, he reinstates him on a foundation of love. Most of us would choose heaven over hell, but most of us would struggle with the, the challenge 
to Smyrna and Philadelphia to choose, earth, to choose heaven over earth. And that's why these two churches are amazing. Because we can actually see Polycarp in his response to this offer, this simple offer of a pinch. Polycarp says, 86 years I have served Christ and he never did me any harm. How then can I blaspheme the king who saved me? And he was bound and he was burned, burned alive. What I want you to see is that Polycarp bases his response, bases his fidelity to Christ on a relationship and a love for Christ. 86 years I've served him and he never did me any harm. How could I look for life anywhere else? How could I look for life in anything else? He's never done me any harm. How could I blaspheme the king who saved me? This is the response of someone who sees past a temporal life. Someone who is motivated by a life to come. Motivated by a life which is with Jesus. Bound up in heaven. Motivated by a love of the life to come which is only in Christ. And so when Rome offers him another life, a lesser life, he will not make even the smallest compromise. Because of a foundation of love for his Lord. If Jesus is the love and the Lord of your life, nothing in Rome nor anything in the world will be first. And it's out of that that we can choose to live oriented towards that. And the choice of choosing heaven over earth is easy when we do it out of love. You know, Polycarp was, was martyred, and interestingly, 11 others were martyred with him. All from the, from, the, from the church actually in Philadelphia. So the bishop of Smyrna and 11 from the, the church in Philadelphia died together. And they are, and I say are, not were, brothers in Christ, who believed that in Christ they would find life. And so to this day, they are brothers in our church who have received life and have received the very power which was offered to the church in Philadelphia. They are pillars to the church which we are today. And I think it's remarkable that for Polycarp, over 86 years, he learned to love Christ. We don't know how many years of love the others had. But it's over time and that relationship that they learned to choose the, the, the life to come and the love of God over the life here. Interestingly, this was modeled first to us by Christ, who loved our lives more than he loved his own on the cross, who loved us first with a love which chose our lives over his. And now, just as Polycarp shows in the, in the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia, empowers us to choose to love the life to come, the life in Christ, more than the life we have here today.
I invite you to join me in prayer as we pray about this. Gracious God, we thank you for the love which you showed us in laying down your life on the cross and buying us with the blood of Christ. Lord, you first loved us, and so we pray that you might fill our hearts with that same love, that we might overflow with it, and that through it, Lord, we might live unto you unto death. Lord, that we might find no temptation or joy in earth or in hell, that we might find nothing comparable to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, by your Spirit, empower us to love with a love that remains faithful to you. In Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen.